The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Meep! I love it. Hi, <laughs> I'm Shannon Penrod. And I'm going to be your host for the next hour here on Autism Live on the Autism Network. So thrilled to be here. Love that opener. Um, we, we're just in the process of booking the dates for the artists who were involved in that to be on the show and talk to you about their process. Uh, they happen to be uh, wonderful artists who also identify as being the, on the autism spectrum. So we love that. We did that in conjunction with Spectrum Laboratory and some of the people that they work with. So um, love, love, love the new opener. A lot going on here. I was just saying, to Traven, there is a fly in the room. I have my retractable fly swatter. Um, so if I go a little crazy at any point, um, it's because it is, as he said, that episode of Breaking Bad. And it's one of those very buzzy flies that's very busy and making me, you know what, crazy. Uh, which is okay because it's that it's that time of year. It is that week of the year, right? Before I forget, want to remind all of you that tomorrow is the annual Halloween show. So every year since we started this 10 years ago, um, Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy, Nancy Allspot Jackson and I dress up for the Halloween thing. And, um, you know, I was somebody who used to dress up when I was a teenager. And then, I don't know, I stopped and um, Nancy was the one who proposed this. And Nancy is very serious about her costuming, you all. Uh, very serious about it. So the first year we decided, and I'm sure that Traven at some point will will show you tomorrow some, some of who we've been in the past. He's very good about that. But uh, the first year we decided that we would be Lucy and Ethel because people were calling us the Lucy and Ethel of autism. I can't imagine why. Um, <laughs> I cannot imagine why. But, um, and it was decided that, of course, it made the most sense for Nancy to be Lucy and for me to be Ethel. And if you knew us, you would know that that is appropriate and right. Because whatever we've had to hatch an idea, we're like, okay, we need to bring awareness to insurance for autism. What shall we do? And Nancy will say to me, um, let's climb a hundred story building with our shirts off and throw blood, cow's blood on. <laughs> What, where do you come up with these ideas, woman? You're out of your mind. I'll, and I'll say something like, we should just write something on our foreheads, which is what we ultimately did. Um, so, but she'll, you know, she had us running around the, the state capitol to bring attention to the state governor at one point. Uh, no, and it's always like, and we could do it topless, but she means with a broad. She doesn't mean totally topless. And, and I'm always like, I'm not doing anything that sends me in jail for the week, even the weekend, Nancy. I'm just, I'm not Jane Fonda. I'm not doing, I have a kid. You have a kid. We, you know, we don't have people to whatever. So uh, she's always got these ideas and, um, and I always have these ideas, <laughs> you know, that don't cause us pain, humiliation or prison time. Um, so very much the Lucy and Ethel. So anyway, we go to dress up for Lucy and Ethel and Nancy shows up and I'm not kidding you, like had looked like Lucy. 
and had a dress on that she had rented that apparently Lucy had actually worn at some point. I mean, the authenticity of it was terrible, like beyond like crazy good, right? Meanwhile, back at the ranch, I threw together an Ethel the night before and I look like Martha Washington um, more than I look like Ethel, which, you know, heaven knows I have the capacity to look a little bit like Ethel, but no, I look like Martha Washington. It was embarrassing. So then it was game on and it's been game on ever since. So tomorrow, Halloween, you'll want to tune in. I'm going big or going home. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so <clears throat> I, last year we had to do it online like this. Uh, and you know, it was fun. I won't say it was our best year, but you can take a look at what some of the different things are that we've done. I, Traven's been posting them all week and I'm sure he'll have some compilation of something together at some point for you guys to see. It's pretty funny. Uh, some years I just miss horribly. I'm hoping I do. I've worked so hard on this for tomorrow. I'm hoping I don't miss horribly tomorrow, but it's always possible. You never really know till you put the whole thing together. Uh, and, and we gave you hints on Monday about who I was gonna be. And if you were paying attention, I think we gave you too many hints, to be honest. So anyway, that's tomorrow. Right now though, we're here with you and we're gonna be here with you for the next hour talking about autism from a 360 degree perspective, uh, trying to have you know poignant moments where we can get inspiration and information. I always say, you know, if we can't find a moment to laugh, what are we doing? Um, but we want to make sure that you know our mission here is to provide information and inspiration to that larger autism community. What do I mean by that? We start with people who are on the autism spectrum. They're the beating heart of our community. They're our whole why, right? So we start with those individuals. We welcome them here to have their say, to talk about what they want to talk about and um, to ask questions. But we also, of course, welcome everyone who loves those individuals as well because we feel like that together with them, we we're, we're a bigger contingent. Um, and that if we keep ourselves mindful and listening to our individuals on the autism spectrum, we can be better allies. Isn't that really the thing? But we have to, good morning, Christina. We have to be listening. And sometimes that's hard. I was, I was saying last night, somebody was sharing something with me and I said, you know, I, the older I get and the further we get down the road, the more I, I find myself wanting to spend more time with people on the spectrum than people off the spectrum, um, adults on and off, uh, you know, off the spectrum, because the thing about adults on the spectrum is they don't lie. They don't have a sec second agenda. When they say something to you, they, you know, that it's coming from a place of honesty and not trying to hurt you or manipulate you. So that if someone says, walks up to me and says, you know, Shannon, you're fat, uh, which I've had happen right? When it's someone who's on the spectrum, I know that that's coming from a place of concern and reality and not a place of, and I want to put you down at all. And there is something so wonderful and glorious about that. And, you know, not all people on the spectrum, um, you know, that's a little bit of a, a filter thing. Um, not all people on the spectrum just say exactly what they're thinking, but they, but I would venture that I could say that every person I've met on the spectrum has been, you know, in, in the top percentile of honest people that I've ever met. And I prize that greatly. I would rather have you tell me the truth than lie to me. 
you know? Um, so in any case, we, we welcome everybody, but we, we certainly welcome individuals who are on the spectrum and the people who love them. Cause we feel like, uh, that's, that's what's going to help more than anything else get to the legislation and the policies and the opportunities that we need for individuals on the spectrum to have their rights. I mean, it's terrible that we have to fight for the rights of individuals on the spectrum, but let's not kid ourselves. We do. We do. And so we should. And so that's part of why we're here. So I hope you'll join me. You can write in right now. Christina's writing in about sleep issues. We're going to talk about that in a second after we get through the jargon. Um, but you can write in. We're live right now on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, and a bunch of other places. Draven could show you all the places that we're live right now. We are about to have a big uh, website retool because, as you know, we've changed things up a little bit and we're now the Autism Network. So, in the next week, you are going to see some website changes, and uh, we kind of we're going to do it live as we go. The website changes, so we, we want to hear from you guys. So take a look. We're we're live right now on Twitch. Hello. I don't know. Um, I, I've never been on Twitch, but I know a lot of people who are on Twitch. Welcome. If you're watching us on Twitch, welcome. Uh, I want to know more about Twitch. I've been hearing lots of good things about Twitch. So, but we're also a podcast. Let's be clear about that. You can download us for free wherever you get your podcasts. And we are actually the number one rated autism podcast right now, which we're thrilled and grateful to you, the viewers, because you're the ones that made us that. You guys, we don't spend money on marketing. Uh, I hope to change that soon, but we, we don't. We don't spend money on marketing. So we hope that you will share this with people. That's what we've been doing for 10 years, grassroots marketing. If you see something you like here and you think it could benefit someone you know, share it with them or write us a review and that way a stranger will find us, right? So we, we welcome all of you. We've got a great show for you. And in a little while, we're going to be joined by special education attorney, Bonnie Yates. She's taking us back to the beginning of special ed. We're going to go very back to the beginning because sometimes you have to and go, okay, if, if this were day one, what would we be talking about? So I think today we're talking about child fine and qualifying for an IEP. Because And I find that that's a conversation that we, we have to have from time to time because the school wants to change the rules. Well, they don't get to. <laughs> There's a law. And the law says this is what it is. And the school doesn't get to change that. It's funny, but not. Right? Um, so anyway, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning with Bonnie, special education attorney. Before we do that, there's always a couple of things I like to remind you. One, we do have lots of experts here on the show, and I'm thrilled to bring you that, but I'm not one of them. Don't mistake me for an expert, especially in the field of autism. I am a former teacher, which means once a teacher, always a teacher. And I am also the very proud mom of a wonderful human being who was diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half. He's 18 now, about to be 18 and a half. Stop. He's a freshman in college working full-time while he's going to college, at least for one more weekend. And then I think he's going to take a break from employment. Um, and he's remarkable. I wouldn't change a hair on his head. Uh, I love that Holly Robinson, Pete says, uh, she didn't want to change her child for the world. She wanted the world to change for her child. 
And we've, we've, we've done, you know, we've gone back and forth about things to prepare my, not change my child, but prepare my son for the world. But we also want to work on uh, changing the world for our kids. Pat, Grace, and Dion, I'm so happy to see you here. I'm sending you a hug. Was thinking about you the other day and thinking about uh, how, thinking about Joanne Laura and how much she loved you. Uh, and I love you too. So, so great to see you here. Thank you for being here. All right. So the other thing that we uh, like to do at the start of the show is something we call the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to figure out what in the hey, nani, nani are those experts talking about and why. Now, the other day, our jargon term was systematic desensitization. And it was a, it's a good week to talk about that with Halloween and about slowly helping someone to deal with uh, fear and anxiety. We did mention that there is another procedure, and today we're going to talk about it a little bit more in depth. It's called flooding. And the reason why we do jargon is because sometimes you see this and you hear this and you go, oh, well, that's what's happening in the Midwest, flooding. It's, you know, global warming is causing flooding. Not what we're talking about. Uh, this is a term in psychology that is used. So this is why we have to do that. First, we're going to give you the actual definition. Uh, in this case, we're not really going to make fun of the actual definition because this is some serious business flooding, right? But normally we make fun of it. Then we give you a working definition and give you an example and help you to begin to understand what this means and how it might be important to you, right? I'm saying hello to Susan as well. Thank you for being here. So let's take a look at the actual definition for flooding to see if we can understand this. Flooding is a technique in behavior therapy in which the individual, catch this, you guys, is exposed directly to a maximum intensity anxiety producing situation or stimulus, either described or real, without any attempt made to lessen or avoid anxiety or fear during the exposure. Flooding techniques aim to distinguish, uh, to diminish or extinguish the undesired response to a feared situation or stimulus and are used primarily in the treatment of individuals with phobias and similar disorders. That is the direct uh, quote from the APA Dictionary of Psychology. So we're not going to make fun of this one at all. I want you to see when somebody's talking about flooding as a technique, when somebody is, you know, having some sort of uh, a reaction to something. This is maximum intensity, anxiety producing, no attempt to uh, diminish or uh, the, the fear. I'm gonna sneeze. <sighs> Excuse me. Okay. Um, so this is why we were saying yesterday, flooding is a technique and there are times when it is appropriate, but like if this doesn't scare you a little bit, it should. Flooding, I said the other day, not something that should be done without an expert. And I said more, which I'm going to further. So now that we have the beginning understanding of what this is, let's take a look at our working definition. Let's bring it down even another level. Um, because I had said the other day, I said the other day, and I stand by this, that it should never be done with a child, period. I'm sure that there are exceptions to that rule, but it would only be with a professional of the highest caliber. So, but I personally, me, I would say don't ever do flooding with a child. I think it's cruel. Um, it, it's just, I don't think it's ethical, right? 
Um, and ethically, this should only be used with adults with consent of the adult and with a professional um, of the highest caliber. So why are we even talking about this? Because this is a pretty interesting, we talk about cognitive behavioral therapy from time to time. And our kids tend to have anxiety. Um, I'm going to say that I talk to a lot of parents of kids on the spectrum. And I always say, you know, puppies don't have kittens. And a lot of us have anxiety. And I'm someone who has been diagnosed before with a panic disorder. I am someone who has OCD that I can get stuck in something. Uh, I had really good cognitive behavioral therapy to help me with that. So, um, so, and I've been through systematic desensitization, I've been through flooding, but I had flooding done that was very responsible where they had said to me previously, um, do you agree to do this? And, you know, and then at another time we did it. So I knew what was going to happen and I had had some techniques to help me to get through it, right? And my professional waited until I was ready which I don't think, you know, people should mess around with this, right? So flooding can be really beneficial, uh, especially if systematic, with an adult who agrees uh, and with an expert, when, when systematic desensitization, desensitization is going slowly or there is a need for it to be sped up. Like, let's say that someone, you know, I just making something up. Let's say that somebody is uh, an actor and they have to do something. They have to stand on a ledge and they're to, for a film and they've agreed to do the film, but they're terrified and they're not sure that they can go through it. Um, and they've done some systematic desensitization, but the filming is tomorrow. And they say, I need to get over this. Let's bring in an expert. Let's do a flooding thing. Uh, I, and I know actors that have had that kind of situation happen. Or, or let's say that someone is deathly afraid of flying on an airplane, but they got to go to their kid's wedding, right? And, and they've been working on systematic desensitization and they've made a whole bunch of progress, but we're still not there. And we need to get them there because they say, I want to go to this wedding. I want to get over this. Then an expert would say, all right, are you prepared? Let's, you know, let's get you on a plane. Let's flood you. We're going to get you on a plane and, and that's what we're going to do. Uh, that would be flooding. I think of flooding is throwing someone in the deep end of the pool, right? And not throwing them a life jacket. Like, think about that. Like, when would you do that under what circumstances? And there are some people that that's how they teach their kid to swim. I can't be friends with those people. <laughs> just going to say, I don't think we do that with kids. I just don't think we do that with kids. And if you are going to do it with a kid, please, 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 please have a professional there who can help you to, to deal with the outcome. But I have seen all too many times professionals say, oh, let's do flooding with a kiddo on the spectrum. And all they do is terrorize the child and create PTSD. I, personally, I just I don't, don't feel it's worth it. Um, so I'm just going to say that. But flooding is a technique, but it is the polar opposite of systematic desensitization. Systematic desensitization says we're not going to go further than, than the, uh, the, the moment that creates anxiety. And we're going to deal with the anxiety and ratchet it back down. And then we're going to keep building up the resistance to the anxiety. It's much more person friendly. 
Uh, it's very effective. It just takes time. It takes time. But flooding can be the right situation in certain circumstances. Um, just, I'm going to say not with kiddos. Okay. All right. All right. Let's move on to our question of the day. We always have a question and our question for you today. Dun, da, da, da. You guys can be writing this in on any of the platforms that you're watching. Uh, our question is, what is overwhelming to you? Oh my goodness. If I had to list this, we would be here a week. Uh, I get overwhelmed very easily. Can I be just like completely honest about that? Um, I, there are certain circumstances where I have learned to ride the overwhelm and be okay with it. Yesterday was a perfect example. I had to uh, lead a talk back for a situation and the, the Zoom call wasn't working. Oh my gosh, it wasn't working and, and the, the people were already there and it wasn't working and we couldn't get it to work. And it was very overwhelming to everybody. I think everybody involved was like, you know, all right, let, you know, this is, this isn't working. Um, and I certainly felt overwhelmed. Um, but because of my background in theater, I've been trained to not look like I'm overwhelmed, which is sometimes good and sometimes not so good. Cause I think the people around me don't see that I'm escalating. Um, but I also have been trained, you know, like how to talk to myself in the moment and say, breathe, uh, you know, you're not going to die from this. Like, so the self-talk kicks in, but I'm overwhelmed a lot. Can, you know, I'm just like, uh, is there anybody else out there too that I, like, it takes things that other people don't like paperwork, <gasps> paperwork overwhelms me. Uh, and if you give me 18 pieces of paper to sign, if they're all part of one thing, I can get through it because you know what I basically do? I do. I, I just go, just sign it, just sign it, just sign it, just sign it. Um, if I need to really read it like an IEP and you got to read it beforehand, I got to read it at another time from the time that I'm signing it. Otherwise I can't sign it. You guys, uh, it's just so overwhelming to me. And if you, if you have 18 pieces of paper that are, are different things, woo, overwhelming to me. And it's kind of crazy because I go, gosh, I'm so capable in some um, aspects, but why is this overwhelming to me? And if I'm completely honest, uh, I was overwhelmed so much of the time when my son was from when he was, you know, regressing into autism, then being diagnosed and then getting to services that were helpful. Oh my gosh. I was so overwhelmed so much of the time. So much so that I, I started picking apart the word and going, what does overwhelm mean? Like, I know what uh, over means, but what does whelm mean? And I looked it up and you know what whelm means? Whelm means underwater. So when you are overwhelmed, it means you're significantly underwater and can't catch a breath. Um, <clears throat> it's, a, it's a real thing. I think it's uh, super important to identify the things that overwhelm you and to be kind to yourself while you're doing things that overwhelm you, to give yourself positive self-talk and reinforcers. I will promise myself all kinds of things to get through paperwork. I've learned that the longer I let it sit, the worse the overwhelm is. So when I get paperwork, especially school, oh my gosh, school will bury you in paperwork, right? And I learned that if they had, I would say to them, if you have paperwork, for, tell me. I'll arrive 15 minutes early and I will do the paperwork and get the paperwork done because I don't want to bring it home. If I would bring it home, there would be a stack and then the stack would grow and that would get overwhelming to the point where I couldn't sleep. 
uh, which is my way of bringing it back around because uh, we are still going to talk about the sleep issue very quickly here in a second, Christina. Uh, so what's overwhelming you? Write in and tell us uh, what's overwhelming you uh, and what is overwhelming to you. Uh, lots of things sensory are overwhelming to me. Loud noises, flashing lights, ooh, can't handle, can't handle. Uh, but what about you guys? Love to hear from you. We always have a topic of the week and our topic this week is, of course, because this holiday is uh, coming up uh, and we were saying, you know, it's important to have a plan for your festivities this weekend, but it's about making the plan shoring the plan up, but not staying married to it. Every once in a while, you got to check the plan and go, that was a good plan. It's not happening today, right? I do think though that having a plan prevents some things from going completely off the rails. Um, sometimes having a plan means, you know, having the bag with you that's got the things in it that will help um, the individual on the spectrum to cope or to help you to cope, right? So having the plan is a good thing, but sometimes the plan goes completely sideways. And that's hard. If we get fixated on it must be like the plan, we're gonna have a terrible time. But if we can say, all right, I had the plan, I made the plan, it wasn't like I did nothing. I, I had a plan, but that's not what the universe has in store. And if we have a sense of humor about it and can take a breath and go, so what are we dealing with right now? Honestly, that's kind of what we did yesterday when this uh, webinar was, when the Zoom thing was not working. It was at a certain point, it was like, well, you know, we can either be upset about it or we can laugh about it. And then like, let's look at the problem. What, what possibly could we do? And we came up with a plan in the moment and it worked out. It worked out great, in fact. Um, but I, I, I love looking back and going, it seemed like all was lost, <laughs> Like we had a plan and it was not working and it seemed like all was lost. But the minute that we went, oh, okay, let's have a sense of humor about it and laugh about it. Somebody came up with a, a new plan and we were like, oh, well, you know, what do we got to lose here? And it all worked out. Um, okay. Uh, Shannon says, starting on supplements for my son, super overwhelming right now. Oh, Shannon, I, I feel you on that. Whenever we're adding something new in, that can be very overwhelming. Can I suggest to you though, don't add everything in all at the same time. Add one thing at a time um, and make yourself a chart of when you're added it, adding it and leave space to comment on, on how it's going and, and make a plan for when are you adding the next thing and tell your team or at least tell the leader of your team, whoever that is, and say, you know, say, don't tell everybody else, but we're adding this in. Um, so that if they see some sort of a change, they can let you know. But it, it, it's it's hard because I think sometimes we get excited and we want to add 17 supplements at the time because, you know, we want to get to the progress and the success of the whatever's working. But so often you might have a positive reaction or a negative reaction. And if you've added two things, you don't know which one and you actually end up losing time. So we've had uh, um, Lisa Ackerman from Taka on the show many times, and Taka firmly recommends that you start one thing at a time, take data on it. That's why you have a chart to say, we started it on this day, put it right on the wall. 
this, this, these were my wall decorations when my kid was in intensive early intervention. So I, I put like a piece of paper up on the wall and it would say 915 started this medication and left room to discuss it, right? So that if I needed to know what we started, when we started, um, but they recommend it, Taka, that you really wait 30 days that you start something, wait 30 days and start something else. I know it feels slow, but it's less overwhelming that way. It really is. Okay, so Christina, I promised you we're going to talk about sleep issues. Uh, it's hard. He woke up at 1130, didn't go back and sleep until 630. Ugh. Um, um, and you also wrote when my when my typical kids on my special needs bus are bothering each other and the volume is bad um, and the critical needs of the kids uh, join in that that's overwhelming to you. OK, let's take the sleep thing to begin with. Um, you know, the light is changing right now and we're about to at some point soon we're changing the clocks. Right. It is a weird time of season. And I feel like our kids are very sensitive to that. Plus, there's a certain buzz in the air because it's Halloween and school is a little bit different. And, uh, you know, and last year for a lot of us, we didn't get to do Halloween. And so it's like there's this energy. And sometimes our kids are little sponges and they pick all that stuff up. So I would just ask you, is there anything that in particular that you notice about him right now that he's fixating on? Or that, you know, when you and I wake up in the middle of the night and can't go to back to sleep, it's because something's going on, right? Something. And sometimes you can't put your finger on it, even when it's you. But I would ask you to think about it a little bit. Did his diet change a little bit? Are we seeing, you know, how are his poops? Uh, I'm sorry if you're having breakfast, but you know, those are lunch. Those are the things that we talk about here. Um, or is, did, you know, is there something new happening at school or is there something about to happen? Like, is he super, it isn't necessarily bad. He might be super excited about Halloween or that he's going to get to see somebody or, you know, he might be nervous about Halloween because, uh, there can be scary things about that. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I would look at all of those things. I think what's hard is, especially when they're they're little, is that he's going to get tired in the middle of the day. I would just say to you that as much as possible, make him busy. Keep his took us as busy as possible today, and um, not with sensory. You know, but I know I know your kiddo loves to jump. I would jump his took us out today, so that when he goes to sleep tonight, and I'll keep him up as long as you can um, until it's like reasonable, and then and then put him to bed. He's gonna want to take a nap. Ah, uh, uh, she says he hasn't had a BM in days. Oh, he had that GI procedure a few weeks ago. Okay. Well, you know, he, that's nerve wracking and his, his little ecosystem has been upset. So I would definitely go easy on him. Um, I would talk to your doctor about the fact that he hasn't had a BM and see about what it is that you want to do about that, but make sure he's having high fiber in his diet, not excessively high fiber, but high fiber enough so that if things are a little bit backed up, that wouldn't be unusual after that kind of a procedure, but be super lovey-dovey with him and, um, but give him fun things to do that he likes to do to wear him a little bit out so that his body can rest. Do you know how I have a friend who calls it monkey brain when your brain is just going like this, 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 this. And we know that when you mess things up in the intestines, that the brain 
reacts. That's just a thing, right? Uh, Pat says, when my son is in crisis mode and none of the techniques I am trained to do are working. Uh, by the way, I love your flooding definition. So happy to hear you say it is not something to be used with a child. Amen, Pat. Amen, amen, right? And I'm, I, I think what you're saying is absolutely, when, when our kids are in crisis and we, you know, we've got a bag of tricks now, hopefully, of things to do. And when those don't work, it feels like, you know, what, what will I do next? But I know you and the expert that you are. Um, and thank you for sharing that. I, I, I hope first and foremost, we all have to remember to breathe and be kind to ourselves. Um, you know, if, if in the most stressful times, if we can remember to breathe, that's half the battle. And if we can study our breathing, in a way, it's modeling for the other person. It may not fix what is going on with them in the moment, but we will be better prepared to do what we can in the moment. Uh, it's not the fix-all, but at least it's something. Christina says, he had a BM explode while I was at work and he's cleaned out. Okay, so good. So maybe that'll help him tonight. But I would still, I would try to prevent him from napping today. I would, I would have that child bounce it out today and see what happens with the sleep tonight. How's that? Uh, okay. So I, uh, I want to, I see that our wonderful guest, Bonnie Yates is here and I want to bring her in. Bonnie Yates is a special education attorney. Uh, she is amazing. I, it's like, you know, how can you even find superlatives? Uh, but she's really incredible. She's with the Tolner Law Offices and has been working in this field for a really long time, has really specific uh, information that can be really helpful to us. We're welcoming her back to the show. And I hear we're going to start at the beginning. Hello, Miss Bonnie. Hello. Can you how tell are you that today? Can you tell that I'm like in a bunker? <laughs> it does look like you're in a little bit of a bunker. Uh, do, do I dare ask what's happening? Yeah. I mean, I sort of decided this morning, I was like, can't we have any fun as lawyers? Does it always have to be like dignified and serious and the neutral background? Your bunker is, you're breaking up a little bit though. I think. You're, you're going in and out. Is it just me, you guys? Or uh, is it? We can do phone. We can do that because it is breaking up too much for us to understand you. We might have to do that. Okay, what number do you want me to call? You can call my number and I'll put you on. You can, you can call my number. Okay, I'm going to duck. I think that's and I'll put better. you on speakerphone. Okay. Well, that was better. Okay, stand by. Okay. Call Shannon. But I'll, I'll appreciate it if you don't give the world my phone number. <laughs> Just because. I, or I could call you. Why don't, here we go. Stand by, everybody. Hey, Bonnie. Hey, so am I getting hey, Yeah, you muted my mic. Good. Okay. okay good. All right. Wonderful. Well, the fun the fun that I'm having is that um 
I've been living in New York, and I realized that, that after having survived three kids, two cats, and a dog, the house needed in California needed a lot of work. So we're we're camping in the back of the house, essentially. Three weeks, it's going to be a great adventure. What's back here is my husband's performance studio, which is eclectic to say the least. And then our youngest son turned the other half of this uh, back part of the house, it's like a detached garage, into an apartment. And he's a woodworker, and he's a 25-year-old man. So you can kind of imagine what it looks like back there. I thought it would be really fun to show you guys actually what it looked like, but I think it's too complicated uh. this week. Maybe we'll do it next week. Yeah, so we're camping out for three weeks, and I'm practicing law under let's just say suboptimal, but fun conditions. Now, hopefully so. everybody just watched me reconfigure the phone. Uh, so uh, can everybody hear her now or do I need to reposition the phone? Just write in and tell me if you can hear her okay now for those of you who are watching. Uh, but while we do that, Bonnie, uh, talk to us a little bit about Tolner Law Offices. Yeah, so when I'm not, you know, like camped out, I'm, I'm, I'm employed by Tolner Law Offices in San Jose, California. They're a wonderful special education and disability discrimination firm. I tell people that what I love about the firm is that it's both got very skilled, smart attorneys that give me new ideas all the time. And also just people that I'd want to know, even if I didn't work with them, people that are really committed. Anyway, we do offer a free consultation. You can go to our website and get more information about that and reach out to me if you want. But what we what we do on the show is we try to educate you guys about special education issues. And the truth of the matter is most of us all got educated the same way, which is we started at the beginning knowing nothing, going to our first IEP, having it be like gobbledygook, and we've sort of studied it from there, and, and there's a lot to know. And it's really empowering uh, for clients to understand that they are operating in a quasi-legal environment where there are other people there that, uh, that may actually have a strategy, and it might not be a, a strategy to support your family. And um, where the IEP fits in the whole system of administrative and judicial remedies. So we cover all of that because, you know, I know how much parents of children with autism are capable of doing. And frankly, learning more about special ed law is a piece of cake compared to some of the other things you're asked to do. So, you know, that's how I learned about it. I mean, I had, I had um, just really quickly, I had like a cover story because I started doing this when I was about, um, bleh, how old was I? So Nick was four. So I guess I was like 34, 35. Um, and I didn't start doing it seriously till I was about 40. Mm -hmm. And I already had some gray hair. And so I really used that when I walk into an IEP meeting, I wouldn't really know what I was doing, but people didn't know that they knew I'd been an attorney for, you know, 15 years and, oh, well, she's got gray hair. She's not young. So, um, you know, so I, I, I really just learned on my feet and, um, a lot of learning can occur for people, um, through stuff that's on the internet. There's a very good national publication called rights law, but there's a very good state publication called special education rights and responsibilities that's put out and, um, updated every year through, um, disability rights of California. And even though the Disability Rights of California material is 
um, oriented toward California law. California law is basically based on federal special education law. And so what I'm going to talk about, even though it comes from California, it has broad applicability for you, whatever state you're in. We've had a few people on the show that were outside the United States. That's a whole different discussion. But in the 50 states, I think this can be helpful to you. So but, after having done... Um, let me just ask this, Bonnie. The second site that you gave, though, is that a membership site? Or, no, or are we free. all... It's completely free. I'll send it to you okay. after the show. That would be great. Thank yeah. you. So what we're going to do here... I mean, we've spent the last two, three years talking about topics that interested the listeners and topics that interested me. And we've had a pretty um, broad discussion about, you know, how things changed and continue to change during the pandemic. And now we're going to get back to some more basic um, discussion about your legal rights. And I just figured, you know, like, let's start at the beginning, because in a way, the school year is a new school year, right? Everybody's back in school for better and for worse. So the, the, the Special Education Rights and Responsibilities book is free. Shannon will share it with the listeners so that um, you can go in and use this manual properly. And and I have used this a lot of times. I'm not too proud to say that. I am proud to say that the people that wrote this did a beautiful job of talking intelligently about the law while making it understandable. And I think you know that lawyers use a lot of jargon. They're taught to talk that way in law school. Maybe the effect of it, maybe the effect of it isn't intended, but it intimidates people and we use big words. Mm -hmm. And usually as a lawyer, there's a smaller word you can use that everybody understands. And we owe, you know, we owe each other clear communication. So don't be intimidated when you go to an IEP meeting and a lawyer there or the school district uses acronyms or other jargon that you don't understand, your education begins with asking people, hey, I don't know what, you know, uh, this abbreviation means. What's the CAS? Oh, that's the cognitive assessment scale. That's something we use when we test cognitive um, ability when we're doing um, a psychological assessment. Oh, okay. I didn't know what the CAS was. Thank you. Um, this this uh, book, is organized by chapters, and I, I encourage you when you start looking at the special education rights and responsibilities to go right into the book, and you can look at the chapters. 16 chapters that can be used separately. Chapter one covers a broad explanation of relevant and fundamental concepts and requirements of the law that are addressed more specifically in subsequent chapters. It also includes an explanation of provisions that could not adequately be described in other chapters. And then chapter two to 16 are dedicated to particular areas of special education law and provide an in-depth review of the multiple topics under each area. So doesn't that sound good? Yeah, it sounds like something to put me right to sleep, Bonnie. But let me ask a question. Let me ask, this is the thing, the thing that you're talking about is what they give you at every IEP meeting and say, you've been provided your no, rights. No, no, no. no? What it's is this? Okay. Uh, so um, maybe I can text it to you on your phone. Oh well, my my phone is occupied with you right now, um, but but okay, is... never mind, never mind. We'll do it after the show. Okay. Okay. 
right. The, the federal law, which applies in California and the California state law and the law in your state, all require that you be given information on your special education rights. Right. And you go into an IEP meeting, usually they will have already emailed you along with any drafts or any other documents for the meeting, they usually will have emailed you your procedural safeguards. Your procedural safeguards are contained within the federal law and within the law in your state. But federal law is paramount, and so states have to give at least as many rights as you get under federal law. Okay. So that's why in California, most things are um, clearly patterned after the federal law because they have to meet that minimum threshold. Your state law can give more things. They can't take away basic federal rights. So in California, we have a provision in the California Ed Code that says that if you are given an offer by the district that you don't like, you can consent to the parts of the IEP that you like and ask that the district not implement the rest. That provision does not exist in federal law. Mm. Under federal law, you're required to give consent or refuse consent. Mm. Okay. So what I'm talking to you about is not from the procedural safeguards. We have mm -hmm. looked at the procedural safeguards from time to time. What this is, is this is Disability Rights of California's publication called Special Education Rights and Responsibilities. Okay. And for some reason, the easiest way to pull it up is S-E-R-R, -R, just not the name of the whole thing, S-E-R-R, -R, Disability Rights of California. And you will be looking at exactly what I am looking at and talking to you about now. Tell me it one more, more time, S-C or S-E? S-E is an egg. S-E-R-R. Disability Rights of California. Disability Rights of California. Yeah. Dot org or, or just put that uh, into your Google search? Well, it's S-E-R-R dot disability rights C-A dot org. Disability rights, ca.org. Yeah. All right, I'm going to put it in the chat here and see if we can't all be on the same page. Uh, take a look at that and see if I've got it right, Bonnie. Uh, well, I, an, let's see. Can I do that? Because I'm actually looking at it too. Not oh, no, no, no. You don't you. have to. Let me let me click on it and see if I can. Uh, for heaven's sake. I'm not going to be able to no, 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 no. do that easily, unfortunately. Right. Okay, that's all right. I tried to put it up um, and I did something else instead. Sorry. That's uh, all right. org. if you're at home, and then it's oh. slash, and then it's slash, forward slash, S-E-R-R dash manual. I've got that it up. wrong. I've got an of in there. We're going to get this, you guys. We are. <laughs> it's not Disability Rights of California. I may have misspoken. It's disabilityrightscalifornia.org. 
right. forward slash S-E-R-R dash manual. You but keep going and I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it so that everybody's got it. You keep going though. So, so here's the thing about the difference between this material that we're going to be talking about and your procedural safeguards that the district gives you. When the district gives you your procedural safeguards, they're written from my view in a very neutral manner and that they don't really point out for parents or explain how the system actually works, which is what parents need. My fantasy is that someday we'll, we'll have a world where when your child is diagnosed with a disability, somebody from public education that'll be like your social worker or your special ed coach will sit down and explain to you how special education actually works and be your advocate. If that doesn't happen now, you're thrown in. If you don't hire an attorney or an, or an advocate, you're on your own. All you have really is what they say, which legally speaking is often not correct, and um, what you can figure out, okay? So um, so the, the, the chapter one on basic rights tells you that, that in your state, Special education programs are governed by a combination of state and federal laws. We just talked about that. And in every state, school districts, if they accept federal money, are re required to provide each student with a disability with a FAPE. Okay? FAPE means special education and related services that are provided at public expense and without charge. So that's the F, without charge free meet appropriate standards, we talk about that all the time, include preschool, so age three, through secondary education, which can end when you graduate from high school or on your 22nd birthday if you don't graduate with a diploma, and conform with an individualized education program, okay? So that's where we start. And so, um, there's also in the law a preference for mainstreaming, for the least restrictive environment. So whenever a child is initially assessed, when determining how to address the unique needs of the child, which is what assessments look at, then have to consider how you can meet those needs in the least restrictive environment. That means to the maximum extent appropriate that students with disabilities to be educated with students who do not have disabilities. And that is codified in the federal law. In addition, FAPE, Free Appropriate Public Education, requires that special education students are involved and make progress in the general education curriculum and toward achievement of their IEP goals. Okay? So yeah. Do you have any questions about that? I mean, I do. What's, what's weird about this for me is that how people can take something and twist something because you, you can hear that as a parent and you go, that's great. That says that my child can be in a mainstream classroom but, and that it has to be a benefit to them. So they can't just park my kid anywhere. There has to be an educational benefit. But it's often- a more, It's a little more nuanced than that. There's a preference, which means that's the default. You start with asking the question, why wouldn't my child be able to be educated in the least restrictive environment? And you see what that would look like. You start from most general ed 
possible, which might be a general ed setting, and you work back to, you know, essentially like residential treatment or the hospital. But what is least restrictive environment is not automatically going to be general ed. But yeah. the district has to prove that it considered least restrictive environment and it considered general ed and then the continuum of options. Yeah. So it, it is a, um, it's like a presumption, like the presumption of innocence, mm -hmm. but the presumption can be rebutted. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And I think that's the point that I wanted to make because uh, you know, Bonnie, that in, in there is the law and the law is on our kids' side and that's a wonderful thing. And there are wonderful professionals in schools. I, you know, I used to work in public schools and there are some wonderful people there, but they aren't fully funded for IDEA even still. And so they have to figure out how to make it work without enough money. And often what that means is that rather than pay for an aid, which would make the child be able to access the curriculum in the least restrictive environment, they push to put them in special education and they use this and say, we don't think the child can be successful, but they don't say, but if we had an aid, the child would be successful to the parents. And I think parents need to know that their kid has a right to that if they can be successful. Am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right. And I should have already touched on that in order to access the least restrictive environment, which might be general education, it's not supposed to be like they throw you in cold. It's supposed to be with supports and services yeah. that allow you to make successful progress from year to year in that curriculum. And where we see this in autism, and I know you see this all the time, people that are listening to the show, is that most kids with autism come into the system and they have to fight to get appropriate behavioral support in the classroom. Yeah. Districts do not routinely offer um, a well-trained and full-time behavior support component within the child's IEP because it's expensive. That's the only reason they don't do it. They tell you it's for other reasons, like we don't want to Velcro an aid to somebody or we don't want them to become prompt dependent. That is not the reason. The reason is that an ABA program in California costs about 125000 a year, and I might need to refine my number because I haven't done my number in a few years. There are a bunch of people out there that are like pulling their hair, hair out and saying, we can't possibly offer $125,000 ABA programs to students in public school. We'll go bankrupt. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But most, I mean, I have um, sort of categories of special education disputes that I handle right now at least 30% and maybe 50 are cases where the kid is in public school and I'm fighting for a non-public agency to provide behavior intervention in the general ed environment. And through mediation and litigation, we're able to get those services for the child, but the child should have had those services in the beginning without fighting for them. Right. Right. But this is the reality. And, and I need pe people to hear, hear what you just said, because the law is on your side, but you are going to have to fight for it. And so often the thing that I think that breaks all of our hearts, Bonnie, is that the squeaky wheel gets the grease that they, it's sort of, it's, it's like the hunger games. They throw a bunch of parents in and they go, whoever's going to fight for it is the one who's going to get the services for their kid. 
Yeah, that's that's an unfortunately, uh, you know, good analogy. And I would say that the squeaky wheel, meaning the person that has legal support, Mm -hmm. gets the grease, is going to be true unless sometimes you have the type of student like I have today. She's uh, was talking to her parents before the show. She's extremely bright. She's on the autism spectrum. She did not adjust well to coming back into school after the pandemic. She was very happy at home having her mom be her one-to-one support and working on the computer. She was getting positive feedback from her teacher. So she comes back to school in the fall and she's got a different kind of teacher that doesn't want problems. And all of a sudden the whole school has turned on her and Mm. she's getting into altercations with school staff and other children and they're going to force her out. And at that point, they're going to be willing to pay for private school for her because they want her out. But why should a child have to go through that? They shouldn't. Oh, it just breaks my heart, Bonnie. But, but it is, it, we start with, and I think you're absolutely right to start at the beginning. We start with what it says right on the screen there, your rights. Because I think when we empower parents to understand that legally the rights are on the side of your child, that's empowering. Um, so that you you know it's worth fighting. Further. I'm sorry, go ahead. It's worth fighting for. These services are worth fighting for. And people do win when they fight. It's uphill, but they, but they win. You know what? Um, actually, uh, families that are represented that have attorneys, they get settlements like 90 plus percent of the time. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, without a lawyer, they will trap you at the IEP level. They will not educate you about your rights. And you will have limited options because the people at the IEP level are not authorized to um, offer the kind of remedies that our students need. Well, and on that note, unfortunately, we're out of time, Bonnie, but uh, we're going to continue this conversation and keep um, putting things into your backpack for those of you at home so that you will know what your rights are and what your child's rights are. Bonnie, tell and, us. Tell us. If you, if yeah. you look at the publication, you can see where we're going with this. It's, it's a complete syllabus of where we're going to go. This is going to be a very comprehensive special ed training. There we go. And But you can look ahead next week and you can see that I'm going to be talking about the difference between special, uh, the, the difference between federal and state laws, which we already touched on, and what is the definition of special education. Fabulous. So, and Bonnie, tell us. Map, do assessment which is huge. Tell us how we get a hold of you. If somebody's in Southern California and they're like, Bonnie, I want you to fight for me. How can they get a hold of you? So my, you can reach me through the website. You can go in and ask to have a consultation with me, or you can call me. My phone number is 310-245-1968. You're going to have to say that again slowly. So Traven can write that down. 310-245-1968. One nine six eight. Okay, Bonnie, thank you so much for all of your expertise. Uh, which and uh, Pat, Grace, and Deong said that as well. Thank you for sharing your expertise and advocacy of our people with disabilities. And uh, hey, thank, thank you everybody for getting together and we'll um, letting us have this time. We'll see you next week. Thank Sounds you, Bonnie. Uh, as we leave you today, I want to take just a second and address. Uh, Dark Angel wrote in and said. 
that uh, said, so distraught, my son's blood and genetics tests came back normal. The doctor said the only thing we can do is speech therapy. So Dark Angel, if you're still there, remind me, because I, I want to, are you in Canada? Is I, I don't remember. Um, but I want you to know that I understand why you're saying you're distraught, because sometimes we want we want a test to come back positive for something that we don't really want for our child, but we'll take it because we want to get to the good stuff, which is help and support and move the dial. Right. But I want to remind you that it's, you know, it's at least a semi good thing that the blood work and the genetic stuff came back unremarkable. Is it completely conclusive? No, because sometimes there's blood work that, that just sort of skims the surface instead of you know, really delves in to go, okay, what's really going on here? I would encourage you to to take a look at medmaps.org um, because they'll tell you what tests you need if you really believe that there's stuff that's going on in the blood that you'd like to know more. Um, they have a bunch of doctors there um, that are MedMap doctors. My favorite one, the person that I recommend people to is Dr. David Berger, um, who is in Florida and is very good at, at doing the more expansive blood tests. But I feel like the thing that's happening here for you is that you were hoping to get access to therapies and things of that nature. And now they're just saying to you speech therapy. But I, but I want to caution you that blood work would, should not be the defining factor for getting behavioral help uh, and supports. So um, even if you were in Canada, Canada does fund ABA. They just fund it in a different way with different age restrictions on it. I, I would say to you to trust your gut that if you feel that your child needs more support, it's time to look outside the box. Either go to another doctor and really focus on the behavioral component and ask for behavioral health support and a prescription for that. Or if you really feel like something is going on in the blood that is affecting your child, then you're really going to have to go to a MedMaps doctor. I will caution you that it can get very expensive very quickly. Whatever doctor you choose, whether it's Dr. Berger or another, be up front with them and tell them what your budget is and say, I can't, you know, I don't have endless funds. Here's what I'm concerned about. What tests would you recommend? Some of the doctors will work with you on a budget if there's a specific thing that you're looking for, and some won't. Some will tell you, no, we got to do every test under the sun. Be careful, but don't give up. Listen to your gut. Many of us have taken our kids to doctors, not gotten the answer that we needed and gone home and been dejected and said, I don't know what to do now. Um, but I would really, I'm going to type in um, for you the two things. I would encourage you to go to takanow.org and um, check out what, they, what they've got going on. And, but then also go to MedMaps. MAPS.org. I'm not a good typer. Can you tell? Uh, that's where you're going to find, and, and it's a directory of doctors. They're not all equal and even. I am not in any way recommending um, 
you know, I personally know um, Dr. Berger, and so I recommend him. The rest of them, I don't know personally. You have to vet them yourself and see each one of the doctors in MedMaps, MedMaps has a different specialty. Some of them are osteopaths. Some of them are neurologists. Some of them are pediatricians. Some of them are immunologists. There's one who's great who's in sports medicine. So you'll have to do your research yourself to see where is one that you can go to, that you can afford, what their rates are. Um, you're going to have to take a minute to do that. But you can also reach out to the folks at TACA, look at what they've got. Um, when you join TACA and have a membership with TACA, which is a very reasonable price for the year, you can get a mentor who is a parent who has been there and done that, who will help you to figure all that out. And the mentor is free when you, I believe, at last I heard, when you are a member of TACA. So I put both of those websites in for you guys. Uh, but be kind to yourself. You're on a journey. You you got one no. Well, you know, that's disheartening. You get to have all your feelings about what it feels that you didn't get your answer, but you got closer to your answer because you know that he's not, you know, the truth of the matter is if there was anything that was remarkable in the blood, it would be very concerning, right? So let's look at the plus side on the that there's nothing really remarkable in general blood work. That's actually a good thing. Um, but it isn't your answer yet. That's what you're having feelings about. So uh, you're going to keep trudging. You'll find the next thing and you will be okay. But I really want to encourage you to go back and ask for behavioral health. Um, good ABA, really super helpful. Um, all right, guys, we've got to go. But tomorrow, it's the Halloween show. Make sure you tune in. I promise it'll be funny. Uh, thank you all. Thank you, Melody. Thank you, Carolina. I didn't get to say hello to absolutely everybody who wrote in. But Dark Angel, thank you for being here. Um, and uh, if I missed your name saying hello, Shannon, thank you so much for that. We'll see you tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.